everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Topics in Drug Testing podcast series. My name is Frank Samaro. I'm the Director of Clinical Marketing for the Drug Monitoring Franchise here at Quest Diagnostics. I'm real excited about today's episode. It's titled Drug Monitoring in Behavioral Health and During Times of Crisis. And the podcast features Quest Diagnostics' very own Dr. Jeff Gooden. Dr. Gooden is a senior medical advisor and Dr. Jack Kane. Dr. Kane is a director and medical science liaison, both for the toxicology and drug monitoring franchise here at Quest Diagnostics. Dr. Gooden, Dr. Kane, it's great to have you with us today. If you would, please take a second and introduce yourself. Hey, thanks, Frank. Thanks for your intro there. As a reminder, I'm Jeff Gooden. I'm a pain and addiction specialist and also a consultant to Quest Diagnostics. Dr. Kane? I'm Dr. Jack Kane, Director and Medical Science Liaison for the Drug Monitoring and Toxicology Franchise. Uh, great topics that we're going to cover today, especially as it pertains to drug misuse during times of crisis. And of course, you know, Dr. Gooden and I, I know that we both could be talking about mental health all day. So just some interesting topics we want to cover, mental health issues, again, drug misuse during times of crisis, and then how drug monitoring can be used to monitor behaviors that might be consistent with illicit drug use or behaviors that might predispose patients to overdoses. And then we'll also get to look at some of our data. And Jack, I'll just jump in. For those of you that don't make it to the end of the podcast, I'll just remind you that at questdrugtesting.com, we've already recorded a number of podcasts that we've had great feedback on. Things like dangerous drug combinations or screening for alcohol use and other topics related to drug testing. So please feel free to log in, listen to some of the other podcasts. But like Jack said, today we're going to be talking a lot about behavioral health and how people or patients behave during times of stress. And clearly with our COVID pandemic, we're in a time of stress right now. So Jack, why don't you kick us off? We always try to highlight what are the most common types of mental health disorders and then see if that impacts the patient populations that we serve at Quest Diagnostics and then specifically within the drug monitoring franchise. And the most common types of disorders are depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, substance use disorders as well. And, you know, I always ask, how often do these overlap? And the data, even just public data, is alarming. And so if you look at prevalence and occurrence of some of these mental health issues, you know, one in five Americans have been shown to experience some form of mental illness. And 20 million people, so that's around 8.4% in the past year, had substance use disorders. And of that, 7.9 million of these people had both mental disorders and substance use disorders. And so you think about the medications that are being prescribed to treat mental disorders, but then you also think about the, the self-medicating behaviors that might contribute to illicit drug use or behaviors consistent with that and increase the risk of, of overdose syndromes and other various psychological mech distressors. Yeah, Jack, I'll jump in and say, you know, when you look at the incidence of mental health conditions in the general population, Jack, you mentioned one in five, you know, the data goes anywhere one in five to one in six or one in seven, but that's still pretty frequent for patients to have anxiety and depressive disorders. I mean, we all have a certain amount of stress, which as we'll talk about in a moment, gets exaggerated in, in times of crisis. But the point that you brought up before is one that I saw almost every day when I worked in the substance use treatment clinic. And that is, there's this trouble with dual diagnoses. Patients with underlying mental health disorders develop substance use disorders. So it's very few and far between that you actually find a patient who has one without the other. And I'll tell you, treating one without the other usually is not a successful strategy. You need to address 
both the underlying mental health disorder as well as the substance use disorder. Think about it in the context of new manifestations as well. How often are these symptoms manifesting, whether they be for the first time in a patient or a relapse into some of these behaviors that are triggered by environmental stress or psychological distress mechanisms, such as what we're experiencing today with the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, and how can you catch those behaviors? There's, there's various tools out there, some of them questionnaires, as you have used, Dr. Gooden, before, but also the prospect of using drug monitoring tools to identify those behaviors. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about drug monitoring in just a second. But for those of you that that see patients, you'll understand that sometimes you could have a, a mental health episode, which is just an isolated event in somebody's life. Maybe it's brought on by a stressor, or a loss of a job or a death in the family. Then you have those people who may be prone to mental health disorders that might reoccur intermittently, let's say once every few years. And then there's the patients that many of us are familiar with who just have chronic mental health conditions that are affected almost every single day by their diagnoses. And you really need to kind of ferret out what the underlying mental health disorder is to give you a handle on treatment. Is this something that needs an isolated short-term treatment, or is this something that's going to need more lifelong therapies? And yep. that's where, when it comes to clinical drug monitoring, we try to assess what is, what's going on underneath with this patient and how are they behaving or are they compliant with their medications? Jack, talk to us a little bit about medication adherence. Yeah, medication adherence is defined as the extent to which a person's medication-consuming behaviors follow the recommendations of a healthcare provider. And it's not simply, is the patient taking the medication? It also consists of the idea that the patient is taking their medication exactly as prescribed, including timing and dosing of the medication. And if a patient's not doing that, they could be defined as non-adherent. But also, if a patient is taking their, let's say, buprenorphine formulation for opioid use disorder, but they're also mixing with an unreported Xanax, uh, one could describe that as non-adherent as well. And so we have to think about these things and how we're monitoring for patients on a regular basis when we prescribe controlled substances, but also, again, going back to monitoring for behaviors that are consistent with mental health issues, whether they be underlying or known. You know, sometimes I think about those patients who have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, and then all of a sudden they're not even taking their, their Abilify or whatever antipsychotic they're taking, and maybe even an antidepressant, and they're not adherent, and you just start seeing these really unfortunate and abnormal behaviors that, that can impact a patient for long periods of time, including loss of work and just challenging their current social circles in, in negative ways. So I'll tell you what we saw in clinical practice all the time. We saw adherence or compliance issues which go both ways. Patients not taking their medicine, they come back and I'm like, do you need a refill? Oh, no, doc, I got plenty of pills left. Well, look, I told you to take this three times a day for the last month. You had 90 pills. How do you still have 60 left in the bottle? And then <laughs> yep. there's the, the other patients who, you know, doc, I didn't feel like I needed it, but then at night things were really bad. So I took three tablets or four tablets. So, you know, when you look across all disease states, not just chronic pain, things like diabetes, hypertension, this non-compliance or not adherence to medications could be as high as 50%. Up to half of the patients don't take the medicines the way that they're supposed to. And we hear it all the time. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I need to be close to a bathroom when I take my medicines. I want to save my pills for when times are really tough. So compliance or adherence is something that clinicians really need to discuss with their patients. 
Yeah, and you know, I think about our Quest data, you know, we looked at over 4 million drug test results and 51% came back as a quote, inconsistent result, essentially non-compliant. And it falls right there next to that statistic. And we see it all the time. And then you yeah, look at published it. studies for non-adherence rates for antidepressants and antipsychotics, those range from 50 to 55%. So there's our data smack dab in the middle of this. Yeah, Jack, I was just going to say, it's a great analogy to the data we mined and published at Quest, that half of the samples that come in show non-compliance, but that's on both sides. Either they have drugs that don't belong in their system, or mm -hmm. they don't have the medication in their system that they're supposed to have. So there's two opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to medication adherence. And, you know, I gave that example of the patient who doesn't take their antipsychotic medication, and you wonder why. And there's so many reasons for a patient to be non-adherent, low health literacy, but also the patient that just thinks they're getting better. They think they've gotten better and they just decide not to take their medication or a patient that perceives the medication as poisonous. And so it, during, even during COVID right now, where meeting a physician is a little bit more challenging than ever before, it concerns me at the level of guidance that patients are able to get right now and the interventions that providers can make that might even save a patient's life down the road. You know, Jack, you bring up either low health literacy or a complex drug regimen. I mean, those are things I just see all the time. Patients didn't understand the way they were supposed to take their medicines, or they mm -hmm. just have so many pills. You know, they look to their spouse or significant other, wait, is that the green pill or the blue pill? Wait, do I take that one in the morning yeah. or do I take it at night? It's it really, from a clinician standpoint, it's incredible to see how patients don't know what medicines they take what their doses are and how often they take them. I love it when the patient comes in with a little laminated card and says, hey, here's my schedule. I keep them in a little pillbox and, and I'm on the ball all the time. So Jack, let's talk about what happens during times of crisis, right? This is about mental health and medication adherence. We know that we're right now smack dab in the middle of, a, of the worst pandemic, certainly of, of our lifetimes, and it's caused a significant amount of stress. What happens to drug misuse or medication adherence during times of crisis? We have to ask, when we look at all these studies, the simple question is, do mental health issues increase? And then after that, at Quest from Drug Monitoring and Toxicology, we ask, does drug misuse increase with that? Does the prescribing of mental health medications increase as well? Because as you know, adherence to those medications is extremely important. And also those medications have just a ton of side effects that should be monitored for. And so let's think about drug misuse during times of crisis in the context of three impactful moments here. So one, natural disasters, two, an economic crisis. So maybe a recession or just large bouts of unemployment. And then the infamous COVID-19 pandemic, but there will be other pandemics as we move on in the, in the future. So, so Jack, I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit older than you and I remember Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. And soon after Hurricane Katrina, there were notes in the literature that alcohol hospitalizations were up, not just people seeking treatment for alcohol, but real health consequences related to alcohol abuse. And if you look at some of the data that's been published now, alcohol sales are off the charts during this COVID pandemic. And think about it. Not only is it times of high stress, but people are secluded at home with nothing else to do. So internet alcohol sales and and for those stores where you can actually go purchase alcohol, it's a great time to be in the alcohol business, but it's a bad time to be a patient if you are prone to alcohol misuse disorders. You know, we see other 
problems. Drug abuse is on the rise. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. Suicides on the rise. So stress during times of crisis is really bad. Yeah, it's a good point too. You know, with alcohol, especially there's data out there that's showing that even people working from home during this COVID-19 pandemic have increased alcohol use while working. It's just the reality. It's just the nature of the beast uh, during times of crisis. And so if we look at economic crisis during economic recessions, deteriorations in mental health and increases in suicides are observed at a population level. And both of these outcomes are associated with illegal drug use. You know, evidence shows that drug use increases during times of recession because unemployment increases. And with that comes the psychological distress and social detachment that you know, has been observed even during the 2007 to 2009 recession here in America, but it's also been observed in various other countries as well. What could be that contributing factor? Well, think about it. It's that social exclusion mechanism. An economic recession leads to job loss, which may lead to loss of social status and ultimately to social exclusion. And then how do people cope with that? And I always ask one of my favorite questions, Dr. Gooden, are you self-medicating? And so you have to think about that in a in the context of a patient who has a history of drug, drug misuse, substance use disorder, how are they coping with these challenging times? And oftentimes it is with controlled, unreported substances, illicit substances, and so forth. So Jack, if social exclusion is a factor or a risk factor for non-adherence to medication, imagine what's going on now during our, during our pandemic. Like the perfect storm, the government issued, declared a national public health emergency, which is totally understandable. Many of the medical societies said, hey, look, keep patients away from the offices, go to telemedicine, you know, put a hold on non-essential medical services, like doing your cholesterol or your blood pressure. Yeah, that stuff's important, but not in the heart or the heat of a pandemic. And we mm -hmm. could tell you just from a drug testing standpoint that drug testing basically fell off the cliff once this social isolation or this emergency uh, declaration was made. So what do you think happens when you take away really the only truly objective tool that we have to determine or monitor if patients are misusing drugs or using their medications the right way? We mm -hmm. see that drug abuse goes up. So Jack, talk to us a little bit about how stress has affected patients during this pandemic. Stress and anxiety continue to uh, contribute to increased risk of substance abuse, such as extensive drinking, and of course, that self-medicating mechanism, or as others put it, the coping mechanism, and then accessibility to substances, whether they be controlled prescription grade or illicit, continues to impact not just our positivity data on um, specifically what drugs we're seeing in a drug test result, but also the rate at which we're seeing inconsistent drug test results, essentially a failed clinical drug test result. I've been telling my colleagues, look, for now, we got to go back to basics, right? If you're not going to be drug testing your patients, go through their history again. Do you have a personal history of substance abuse? Do you have a family history of substance abuse? Is there any mental health conditions that have popped up? How are you coping with stress and anxiety during the pandemic? Why? Because those are the greatest risk factors, history, family history, and mental health disorder when it comes to talking about people who are going to misuse prescription or illicit drugs. Yeah, you know, I talked about the accessibility to some of these medications. A lot of them, accessibility to these medications haven't decreased. And essentially, they've increased through uh, different means, through, you know, less red tape to get some of these substances, such as buprenorphine, 
is, is pretty uh, easy to get during this COVID-19 pandemic, which, which makes sense. Of course, uh, drug test results should never preclude a patient from getting their required medications, but a lot of these patients have a history of substance use disorder and we're not monitoring the co-use of alcohol with it and other substances that might shut down the central nervous system and lead to overdoses that often manifest as respiratory depression. It's very alarming. And then of course, as you can see here, Dr. Gooden, anxiety and depression medications, the prescribing of them has increased tremendously. Yeah. So Jack, we see just in the last few months, when you look at some of these organizations that publish data on where and what kind of medicines are prescribed across the country. We've seen almost a 35% increase in medicines prescribed for anxiety just since the start of the pandemic. So there is no question about what patients are feeling out there. This is not a silent problem. They're going to their healthcare providers with things like insomnia, anxiety, depression, and it gets challenging. The other thing is when you look at, you mentioned respiratory depression and overdoses. You know, we have a system in this country called ODMAP. I think it's supported by either SAMHSA or one of the federal arms of the government. And it's an overdose mapping program. So they track overdoses around the country. And you figure if the COVID crisis started really a little bit in January, then we heard more about it in February. And by March, we hit the pandemic declaration of public health emergency. Mm -hmm. In March, the percent increases in overdoses reported throughout the country was up almost 20%. In April, it was up almost 30%. And in May, it was up more than 42% compared to 2019. That is just, un it's an unbelievable yeah. statistic, a 40% increase in overdoses around the country compared to just a year ago at a time when we thought we were getting better when it came to the opioid crisis. And it's even more alarming when we put that in the context of our data and what we're seeing out there. And I know that you helped publish this information, Dr. Gooden, if you want to go over it regarding non-prescribed fentanyl. Sure, yeah. We presented this as a poster at one of our national meetings, and we just got accepted and published in a, a journal Population Health Management just last week. What we did was we went through thousands and thousands of samples submitted to Quest during the pandemic, and we compared them to a time just before the pandemic to look at drug positivity. And the most astounding thing we found, Jack, was that when it came to fentanyl, positivity for non-prescribed fentanyl increased by 35%. There was 35% more fentanyl positivity in the time just after the pandemic than in the time before the pandemic. And we saw increases for things like heroin, opiates, marijuana. And just like our reports from years past, we showed that dangerous drug combining had increased mm -hmm. as well. So the patients who are positive for fentanyl were also positive for amphetamines almost 90% of the time. Benzodiazepines almost 54% of the time. Cocaine a third of the time. So it's not just single drug that we're seeing pop up out there. And the, the big point is in times of crisis, mental health and substance use disorders rear their ugly head and we've shown it by our surveillance data, what we've done here at Quest. Exactly. Just seeing these fentanyl positivities just bakes to the importance of using rigorous drug monitoring solutions, rigorous drug monitoring technology, LCMS technology, definitive technology that can identify fentanyl and its constituents as well. So it's alarming what we're seeing and, and how so much of it is still in this country uh, even when the borders were closed during uh, COVID-19 stay-at-home orders and travel restrictions. Uh, nevertheless, it's still there. And uh, fortunately, drug monitoring kind of helped tell tells that story. And when I consult specifically on a drug test result, I also like looking at 
uh, drug mixing and other uh, substances that appear positive with fentanyl to kind of help tell that story. And then it's ultimately a very important tool for these counselors and providers to consult on the risks associated with fentanyl and its extreme potency. Hey, Jack, in our last couple of minutes, why don't we talk about what providers can do, what practitioners can do to drug test in times of crisis? Because let's face it, a lot of people try to get patients in and out of the office. They want to minimize their exposure to patients, maintain their social distancing. They don't want to touch a urine sample. They want to, uh, and still a lot of clinicians do, doing telemedicine visits. Mm-hmm. Are, are there things that clinicians could do? Because like uh, I said it before, and, and everybody realized this is a Quest Diagnostic sponsored podcast. And take away the commercial aspect of this. There's no other means of knowing what a patient has consumed other than drug testing. And like I said, if you're not going to do drug testing, go back to your basics. Try to see what's going on underneath or underlying with the patient. But for me, drug testing is really a critical component of monitoring patients to make sure that they're using their medicines appropriately and not using anything illicitly. And I don't know how you could practice addiction medicine or treat patients with substance use disorders without drug testing. So give us an idea of of what kind Mm -hmm. of resources are out there for clinicians to use if they don't want to drug test in their office. Yeah, you think about it almost any time of crisis, you know, whatever disrupts that patient care process, disrupts the daily routines or those regular patient visits, it, it makes it challenging to treat the patient. Fortunately, at Quest, we have patient service centers, over 2,000 of them around the country to help uh, providers sustain that patient care process and continue that workflow to help improve patient outcomes. And so, again, we have our patient service centers, but another exciting solution that we have right now as well for, for drug monitoring specifically is the ability for patients to collect their own oral fluid specimens. Maybe this could be used in conjunction while they're being observed via telemedicine. And then that oral fluid specimen is sent to the lab where we run a drug monitoring test on our mass spectrometers and yield a result for the provider and ultimately a conversation. And Jack, why don't you just take us through how is drug testing done? I mean, you're an expert on that side. There's a difference between presumptive testing and definitive testing. Does Quest do both? Uh, yes, we do. You know, at Quest, we try to balance the cost versus clinical benefit. You know, sending everything to a mass spectrometer can be pretty pricey at multiple levels, but we try to leverage, the, uh, again, that balance between a cost and clinical benefit. So a presumptive is a screen first. It's not the most accurate drug testing technology out there, but it gives you something. It gives you a result pretty quickly and it lets you know, hey, something might be there. And I'll say if a patient's positive for an opioid, it'll say opioid positive or opiate positive. And if that's the case, we probably don't know specifically what opioid it is just yet, but that's why it automatically reflexes to a confirmation. So the screen will tell us something's there. What is it? We won't know with certainty until it is done on a mass spectrometer through confirmation, which Quest does provide and encourage. That's great. I'd like to say thanks to Dr. Kane for all of the great information. I'd like to remind you that during these times of stress that we've seen a resurgence in mental health conditions. We've seen certainly a spike in prescription and illicit drug misuse and abuse. Quest Diagnostics serves one in three adult Americans and half of all the physicians and hospitals in the United States. We have thousands of physician and PhD employees and researchers. 
We have a Quest Diagnostics hotline that you can call to talk about drug testing, talk about results of drug tests, and lots of resources like Dr. Kane mentioned, patient service centers if you don't want to do drug testing at home, home collection devices now, oral fluid home collection devices, so that we can keep our fingers on the pulse of these very sensitive patients, usually with sensitive medical conditions, until our healthcare system returns back to normal. Dr. Kane, any closing comments? Nope, that, that does it. Another great conversation, Dr. Gooden. Thank you for your time as well. And thank you as well. Thanks so much again for joining us for today's podcast. I want to thank Dr. Gooden and Dr. Kane for the great information on drug monitoring and behavioral health and during times of crisis. They really shared some really important information and some alarming data and statistics. So I hope you got a lot out of today's podcast. As our two experts shared, if you want to learn more about either today's topic or just more about Quest Diagnostics, our drug monitoring offering, please visit questdiagnostics.com or more importantly, visit questdrugmonitoring.com. There you can find information on our drug monitoring test directory, all our offerings and insights from our team of toxicology experts like Dr. Gooden and Dr. Kane. Um, Dr. Gooden had mentioned we have a Quest Diagnostics RX Tox line, one 877 rx There, if you have any questions about your results or about test ordering, which test selection, you can call up again, speak to one of our experts. To listen to this and any of your podcasts, please visit questdrugtesting.com or subscribe through your favorite podcast venue. Thanks again. And at Quest, we are committed to providing you results and insights to support your clinical decisions. 